1: When you're on a mine site and 300 men are on strike because they want to work with a girl, you've got to sit back and go, you know, why am I doing this?
2: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with award-winning mortgage broker, entrepreneur and author, Jane Slack-Smith. Originally a miner from Dubbo, Slack Smith changed her career path for good after starting her portfolio at 31. Join us to hear how she turned $45,000 into a multi-million dollar portfolio and stay tuned as she explains how you can do the same thing. Growing up in regional New South Wales, SelectMe followed an exciting path upon leaving school.
1: As a uh, girl from the bush, uh, from a farm in Dubbo, I was uh, one of the first to attend university in my family, and I did a mining engineering degree and specialised in explosives. So I spent the next eighteen years working in the mining industry, which was very exciting. And in that period of time, I. I knew that I was probably just working for my money day in and day out and doing nothing with it and I knew I had to do something and I had a, you know, come to Jesus moment with a reading of Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad and uh, started to think more about my future and what I wanted to achieve. So, I took my risk assessment skills of understanding risks and likelihoods and consequences of risk to property investment and built a property portfolio from you know, a mere $45,000 start um, way up to multi-million dollar portfolio today and decided along the way that I wanted to teach other people how to do it too. So I essentially started looking into how I could assist people in uh, their education on how to find the right property in the right area to get them to their goals quicker. And I realized back in 2004, 2005, that if I did that without having professional indemnity insurance, I was probably going to um, put some risk around my own portfolio. And the only person or profession at that stage that could talk about property was a mortgage broker. So I decided to do that part time. And that lasted about three weeks because of the demand of people wanting some assistance. And I went full time. And since that start, way back in 2005, I've won um, Australia's Mortgage Broker of the Year twice and um, property investment advisor runner-up in a a recent award, which I'm really proud of. And in 2012, I decided it was time to put all the education and knowledge around property investing and building my portfolio and all of the thousands of investors I'd worked with into play and started Your Property Success, which is um, an online education platform that assists people in getting to their property success.
2: Slack Smith's achievements are incredibly inspiring. But what motivates her to keep pushing forward?
1: I am perpetually curious. So I always want to learn more and I'm always signing up for courses and something like, um, you know, James Patterson teaches how to write because I'm interested in how to convey my message and be a better writer. I don't necessarily want to write a book. I have (laughs) written one book, Your Property Success with Renovation, but, uh, you know, I don't plan on writing anymore, but it just intrigues me uh, looking at people who excel at what they do and Shortcutting the path of pain that they've been through and learn from their mistakes and learn their recommendations so I can, can put those things into place. So, you know, I do courses on photography, writing, you know, marketing, obviously, finance, and I'm always uh, looking to learn more and I'm always curious about what people are uh, doing so that I can learn from their experiences as well.
2: Wow. Where do you find the time to do all this?
1: You just have to get up early. You can achieve anything.
2: Slack Smith tells us about her family.
1: My husband was a consultant and then in in IT and, you know, with our portfolio he uh, stopped work when he was 42, I think. So he is now following his dream which is being a full-time artist. So he does photorealistic art. And uh, you can have a look at toddsimpsonart.com, but uh, beautiful works, and you know they go into the Archibald and the portrait um, exhibitions in in London, etc. So um, he's following his dreams, and unfortunately, I don't I don't have a, a hobby that I could uh, check out with and and spend all day at. My hobby is kind of teaching other people. So you know I'm I'm also following my dream and doing what I love, which is helping others. And I've got a nine year old son who um, keeps us entertained as as sort of the weekend, I am the proud uh, completer and designer of a Nerf gun arsenal storage <laughs> shadow board. So you know, the things that I can do are amazing.
2: Family always is fun, especially with children as well.
1: You never know when someone's going to jump out from behind a wall and shoot you with a Nerf gun in my house.
2: Aside from the exciting home life, how does Luxmi spend her time?
1: Essentially, um, I have the mortgage broking business and I have the education business. So. On a given day, I might have three to four discovery calls with new clients who are looking for finance and we just work out whether we're a good fit in working together because I, I don't believe that uh, everyone, you know, works uh, together well. So for me, it's really important in, in providing um, some understanding of what each party needs in a relationship so that we can go on because I really want to be part of people's long-term goals rather than a, a one-and-done kind of uh, loan provider. Mm. And um, and then the rest of the time we're in, usually in pre-production for podcasts and videos and, and looking at how to do virtual reality, exciting things with our new videos and and looking at um, how we can update our courses and material for for our students, and a lot of time is spent um, assisting the community on our private Facebook pages in answering questions and putting them in touch and and getting them to the results that they want. So, yeah, pretty full day.
2: So, what kind of services does she provide for her clients and students?
1: Look, one of the things when I started investing, and and that was you know I was looking around 1999, 2000. So I guess you know it's almost 17 years of, of investing was that there was a few books and, you know, Jan Summers you know, loved loved her books and, and Robert Kiyosaki and there was a few educators out there but you never knew who to trust and there was always, you know, buy my course and then it's a good buy or get my loan or get my, you know, whatever someone was selling and it was kind of that feeling that it was a transaction and and I, you know, I genuinely, for me it's about the stories and it's about the people and it's about, getting people to a place that might just be an aha moment. Or, you know, I spoke to a lady today who thought that she could do nothing because her borrowing capacity leads her to a purchase price of $160,000. And we talked about areas and the fundamentals of low risk investing and, you know, looking for infrastructure and population growth and economy growth. And we highlighted a few areas that she could afford. And she was just, she was so excited. She said, you know, this is a revelation to me. I feel I can almost breathe again because I really want to invest, but I feel that I can't get into the market. So it's just those moments that, for me, make my day um, complete, and um, which which are really exciting for me. So. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much what we do is provide courses. Ultimate Guide to Renovation is our, our premium course that comes out uh, twice a year in February and September. We have a Your Property Success Club, which is a 12-month club giving people, you know, at a much lower price point but a really good quality information every month because I know that everyone can't afford, um, you know, fancy courses. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we do a lot of Q&A calls, monthly Q&A calls and support and, for me, it's it's um, helping people get over maybe just a tiny little roadblock that they think could stop them and moving forward. And, and that moving forward to us is, um, you know, why we do what we do, is getting people to their goals.
2: Yeah, that's really good. And it's really inspiring to be able to hear that, that you're helping and impacting quite a lot of people there. And... Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of listeners out there want to be able to get involved in this because the fact is is that there are so many experts out there or so-called experts mm. and you don't know who to trust and I think the good thing is that you've already proven that success with the many years that you've been in the market teaching people on this as well. Unconventionally, SlackSmith started off in the mining industry. How did that come about and what inspired her to change careers into the property industry?
1: I, I had a very wise person tell me once that it wasn't really important what you studied; it was the fact that you learned how to study and learned how to learn. Mm. So I knew that I knew I had to have a scholarship to go to university, and you know, my family um, couldn't afford to. To send me off. And uh, so I looked at where the scholarships were and where my skills were. And, you know, they say that you have three careers in a lifetime these days. And that's on today's, you know, uh, life expectancy. It's going to be a whole lot more in a few years' time. I think
2: it's more than three now. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I knew it wasn't a job for life. I knew it was an opportunity to learn. So um, I had a lot of strengths in engineering. They were looking for girls in engineering then. And although I don't believe in affirmative action, At the time, um, I kind of stumbled into the fact that um, there was promotion of women in engineering and I looked at all the different engineering courses and a lot of them just seemed to be boring. You know, you're designing something and you never get out there and do things. And mining engineering, you learned a bit of mechanical, a bit of civil. You did surveying and geology and you... You're in a ute driving around big mines, you know, telling dozer drivers what to do and blowing stuff up. And then I worked underground for a year on night shift as a labourer because there's a belief that you can't become a manager and tell other people what to do until you've done it yourself, which I, you know, grew up with, you know, cleaning up stables on the farm. So, you know, we were always pitching in and doing things. But I was the first girl to work in underground coal mines. Another another girl and I turned up at the same day at two different mines after they were changed the laws back in 1989 to let women underground, and everyone went on strike. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it's ama- amazing to think in our, our lifetime there was still those kind of things going on. But there was, you know, some adversities to get over, and and um, you just had to get in and do the work and prove that you were willing to learn, and, and that's what I did. And, and you know, I had a really great relationship, had a, a wonderful career and very successful career in the mining industry. But um, after building, a you know, a really good portfolio and having so many people ask how how do you do it and sitting on a mine site in Mount Isa waiting to push a button and for, a, you know, a mountain to blow up kind of thing, people were asking what to do and I was doing all these kind of toolbox talks and mine sites all around <laughs> Australia and I thought, well, if people are really interested, I could teach this and, uh, and I like teaching. So, yeah, that's, that's how I kind of move from mining onwards.
2: Oh, okay. So you're actually on touring around or going around different places to be able to teach people how to invest into property. Is that what you're doing initially? No. No? So
1: what I was doing was I was at that time I was working for a company that was an explosives company and as an expert, different mine sites would ask me to come and design blasts for them or do safety audits or, you know, um, do incident analysis of something that went wrong. So I – got by virtue of that to go to most mine sites throughout Australia.
2: Ah, okay, gotcha. And whilst
1: I was on the mine sites, they'd go, hey, what have you been up to? I'm like, ah, well, I'm going back to Sydney to renovate a house this weekend. (laughs) They're like, what? Tell me about it. So naturally one thing would lead to another and they're like, how are you doing this? I'm like, how are you not doing it? We're on the same income. (laughs) So then we started chatting about, well, how can you, you know, make your money work for you rather than not work for you? You work for your money. Mm. So to Robert Kiyosaki, so yeah,
2: okay, which is really interesting that you said that so on say for example, back then, and this is I don't know if it's changed a lot, but I know that back then mining was quite paid quite well, so there mm. was um obviously a lot of cash flow coming through there did mm. you did you do you think you had enough money back then to be able to just buy property or did you have to renovate in order to to actually buy more investment properties
1: well i I like most people um allowed my i you know went from a university um, income of $10,000 a year to a, a first-year-out graduate income of like $75,000 a year, and my lifestyle expanded to my <laughs> –
2: Quite substantially, oh, yes. Yeah,
1: and I remember getting my first credit card going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I can buy an Oriton handbag and I don't have to pay for it. And, uh, and then I realized a few months later that I did have to pay for it. But um, so I, I, I was very much into that disposable – um, world you know i had hadn 't come from an affluent background, so having money you know I could help my parents I could help put my sister through school and put her through university I could you know go on holidays. So I I did all of that and I didn't save a lot. And then when I hit 28 and sat down and had the the moment with uh, rich dad poor dad, I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm going to have to help my parents when they retire um, because they'll be on the couple's income because they haven't got it, you know, uh, investments that they can fall back on. And uh, I've only got a certain amount of time to do this. So I smartened up. I read a lot of books about budgeting and you know I had. I decided to withdraw all of my pay every week and, you know, I'd have green money, silver money, gold money, so I'd have savings money, money I could spend and save, and, and money that was, you know, available for very long-term savings and I built up savings of $45,000 and essentially I then went and did a lot. I was at, based in Melbourne at the time. I did a lot of research about the suburbs within 10Ks that I could afford. Most of them I couldn't. And then I came up with three suburbs, which was uh, Fitzroy, Collingwood and Carlton, and I just walked the streets and got to know them intimately to the point where, you know, you go to auctions and predicting the price within 1%. And I knew that because I was going to use all of my $45,000, that if I wanted to buy a second property quickly, I had to create equity or because my savings would take too long. So the renovation strategy was around creating that equity quickly. So I bought my first property for $425,000. $25,000 went straight to stamp duty. So I had a 5% deposit. And then nine months later, that $425,000 property was revalued at $700,000. So I did. I took a personal loan out and did a fifty thousand dollar renovation, and then I pulled out a hundred thousand dollars and went to Sydney and did it for the next property and pulled out money and did it again, and built up the portfolio very quickly by using no more than that first forty five thousand dollars to contribute to buying the properties.
2: That's very very smart, and I think by doing that, you really leapfrog very very fast into different parts of of the market mm-hmm. very quickly. And what time was that when you first uh, started investing in Melbourne?
1: So 2001 on um, April Fool's Day. No, <laughs> St. Patrick, it was St. Patrick's Day. My, my business was registered on April Fool's Day in 2005, but my first investment property was St. Patrick's Day in 2001.
2: Wow. How did you feel when you first bought your first property?
1: oh my gosh, like I felt since every property since, buyer's remorse. You're like, oh my God, what have I done? And then uh, you sit down and go, I've done the numbers, I've done the research, I understand the risks, I've minimised the risks, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think when I speak to clients and, you know, we've got people um, putting in offers on properties every day and, and I do deal re- reviews for uh, for our clients to just make sure that it's uh, the property fits their buying criteria and every single time You know those people who are not feeling buyer's remorse. I have a a few worries about, and and I I make sure I ask extra questions because I think you need to. You know, we're we're not talking about you know buying a packet of chips. We're we're playing with hundreds of thousands of dollars and potential to create you know financial freedom in the future. So it's a big decision, and uh, and I think you know it it should be taken. Um, not lightly. And uh, yeah, so buyer's remorse is definitely, I, I think that's a good thing.
2: It's uh, something that should be a natural instinct, but some people might not just have it because they just look <laughs> simply at the numbers.
1: <laughs> it's when it actually proves itself correctly in the long term that you could be <laughs> have a worry. But in that that seven day cooling off period, if you uh, can satisfy all your your worries and concerns, then yes, it's a good thing to move on.
2: Blacksmith went from mining engineer to property investor and renovator to teacher. At what point did she feel confident enough to turn the teaching into a business?
1: Um, it was more about sharing. So I thought, well, if I can do this, I want to share this with my family and friends. So I actively talked to my best friends and, you know, my sister have multi-million dollar property portfolios and I wanted to assist them. And then, you know, their friends would hear about what they'd done and how they'd you know, located a great property in a great area and rented it out quickly or added some value through renovation but it was all about the location that i felt was missing in the education mm. and that as an engineer that kind of you know excel spreadsheets and using the internet that was where my forte was so you know just teaching people how to do that was important to me and then essentially um when people kept asking i thought you know at some point I need to have some um, protection around my portfolio in case, you know, someone takes my my uh, story as advice and it goes wrong. And the only way I could do that is a mortgage broker. So for me, you know, although loans and financing is, is you know, arguably the starting point to building a portfolio and understanding that and getting it right, I saw so many people set up with the wrong loans and you know with uh banks who've been trying to help them out but hadn't structured them correctly and had limited their ability to buy and not achieve their goals so in my whole conversation with people around their finance needs is about what the goals are and it's it's about the property it's not about the loan and how the property fits into the portfolio to achieve the goals in the time frame that people want so um So I guess I I did things a little differently in the sense to me it was all about um, that journey and having long-term clients and being on that journey for the long term with them. So, you know, I provide different services to most mortgage brokers because, you know, I want to facilitate um, I think the total package of what people need when they're buying properties that, you know, it's, it's difficult to get when you're starting out
2: yeah absolutely especially when you're just starting out as you mentioned um, you've kind of got no idea of where to start mm. and you know mm. some people just delve in because they see okay there's a good property we think that's got the right things they buy it but they don't realize that the structure is so important mm. because it helps you buy the second the third and the future properties I've, I've heard of story yeah lots of stories that have stuck got them stuck only on one property because they didn't structure it correctly
1: absolutely and you know I remember you know there was this one guy and and we, we talked about he wanted a passive income of $50,000 in 10 years' time. And then he rang up really excited. He said, I found this property. And it was like Kempsey or something, not to say anything against Kempsey. Mm. But I pulled up these Residex reports. I'm like, there's zero growth predicted and there's high vacancy rates. And he said, yeah, but it's cheap. It's the guy next to my dad's place and we don't have to go through an agent. So I'm getting it 10 grand cheaper. And we could see that in the next 10 years, it was still going to be worth $250,000 It was going to cost him $5,000 a year and the difference between his costs and the income that we pull in, and it had nothing to do in getting him to the goals. And, you know, it was kind of that aha moment when I thought, you know, providing people with some um, thoughts and direction is one thing, but being very focused on delivering a, a quality education that people can go through at their own pace and not turn up for a weekend and get the rah-rah excitement and then, you know, get back home and life kind of hits you in the face. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to have a resource they could go to time and time again. And and I looked around Australia and I couldn't find um, anyone doing online education in the kind of, you know, full of integrity and, and honesty and, and kind of like, here's the facts and, you know, take, take the information and do it yourself. You know, there's no kind of steak knives being thrown in. So I went to the States and I found an educator over there and spent a year being mentored um, just flying backwards and forwards from Australia and and learning best practices in in trying to educate people in the best in adult education and uh, made us probably probably could have bought a house with what I had put into (laughs) developing the education platform but um, to be able to communicate those stories and and sharings and yeah it's just I mean in, in the last you know five years the The community that we've built and the students that we have they're just they're just so lovely and so supportive and you know just people in the private Facebook groups you know they might be saying hey there's a deal on Graze Online I'm getting a ute together to go down pick it up do you know does anyone want want to help you know I can pick up stuff for you and drop it off or there'll be someone else saying you know quick I need a a roof repair here and, and people jumping online and giving people numbers and And Or, you know, here's a property I've been looking at. What do you think I could do with the floor plan? And it's just the generosity of spirit Mm. and that community involvement that I'm just so proud of, and that's what I wanted. I wanted somewhere that people could go and feel that they could – have a safe place to discuss property investing without having your friends and family going, oh, you're, yeah. you're going to go broke. Yeah.
2: That's what's missing out in the market a lot of times and that by having that kind of community, I think it, it just forms a lot of comradeship mm. and also too encouragement and support and that's what we all need because this, mm. is, this is not a journey that's um, – is easily expressed to a lot of people. It's kind of a bit of a lonely journey if you're not doing with any partners and stuff and that's where you need mm. the support and I totally agree. The, the community you've set up sounds fantastic.
1: It, it's sometimes, you know, um, it's really hard for people, married people who one's really keen to invest and the other isn't and there's a lot of tension around that and, and often there's a fear of losing, you know, hard-earned nest egg and it's about taking the fear away by understanding the risks and minimizing those risks and having a conversation about, it's a step-by-step process. The location is key, you know, and that's why we spend so much time. where well, we've developed, you know, the suburb selector software and and all these, you know, different location um, uh, courses and things to really help people target that. And you know, tools like RP Data Professional and um, that I I personally um, for my mortgage pre-approved clients, I pay the three months of the pre-approval period to give people access to that because I'm I'm so focused on helping people you know make sure that they have the right resources and and to be able to find the right property in the right area and so there's some great products you know ripe house and Microburbs and you know there's a lot of free and unpaid um, resources just take a little bit of extra work to to make them work for you but there's also a a lot of um, paid resources that people can use and i think just having everything in one place where people can learn where to do it is really important as well
2: Absolutely, and I think you're offering a fantastic package there in service for the people who at least, you know, you're giving them complimentary things that they don't usually know even to access. A lot of people probably may not even know that this stuff exists until they actually found you.
1: And there's new um, websites popping up all the time, you know, and um, it's really exciting to kind of test them out and, and try to break them and see how I can manipulate them for my community's better good, you know. So it's <laughs> like, hey, you know, instead of paying instead of paying for access or doing like a, you know half an hour trying to find this information on census if you go to this website you can find it in a few seconds and i think you know as an investor we can waste hours mm-hmm. and hours on the internet searching without really knowing what the destination is and being really clear on the goal and then your buying criteria and then finding the the suburbs and then the pockets of potential within the suburbs and then the right property to suit the demographic you know, you follow those simple steps and, uh, you know, you, you're you working with the, the I guess, foundations of a really good portfolio.
2: Stepping back, Slacksmith takes us back to the beginnings of a property journey.
1: I was resistant to property, actually, Tyrone. I, uh, <laughs> I was very resistant. My boss kept saying to me, when are you going to get a mortgage so that I know that I have you for life? <laughs> So I just thought, oh, my gosh. And the word mort is death, right? So mortgage means death. So I was thinking, well, there's no way I'm going to be tied down to the white picket fence. You know, I'm footloose and fancy free. I'm only 28. And um, so I had a lot of fear around the property investment. And like a lot of people, I didn't realize that um, you could invest in property without owning your own home. So, you know, uh, so I decided that I needed to – create a financial future of security for myself so i after i read rich dad poor dad i went and signed up to australian stock exchange courses and i did all of their courses and then i spreadsheeted and paper traded all of these shares just you know on a spreadsheet didn't actually put my money in my pocket for anything and um i couldn't believe it i'd come up with this great you know uh analysis of a company and they'd then go and change the board or they'd change their strategic direction and all my, my research had gone oh, out the window. No. I could think I've got no control and then um, for my 30th birthday I decided that I would pay for three financial planners to assist me in, in putting it together, a plan together and two of them just wanted to go into shares and, and that's when I found out that financial planners were really salespeople. It was the para-planners in the background that were doing all the work, but they were only confined by the, plan. they were allowed to sell. So, so that really um, confused me. And then one guy wanted to day trade for me shares, which I don't even think financial planners legally could do. And, um, and I asked them about property and they said, well, financial planners are not allowed to talk about property because it's not a listed property, cl- uh, you know, um, security class. So, that all changed only just a few years ago. So, I was kind of on my own. So, I made this investment, my $45,000, I took the um, – I, I basically monitored what the shares would have been done under the recommendations of the two brokers and financial planners. And I did my – property investing at the same time and obviously, you know, I made like $175,000 in nine months with the property investing and the one lot of shares that if I put my $45,000 in would have gone up to 50, dollars and the other one went down to about 42. dollars So a clear. It kind of did, yeah, and my husband had done property investing in New Zealand where he was from and he he had a little business um, whilst he was at uni mowing lawns and there was like a 24-year-old guy who said, come mow my investment property lawn. And he said, you did a good job. Come mow the other ones. And and my husband said, how did you get so many? He said, the first one's the hardest. And once you get the right one for the first one, you can build your portfolio. So um, he was really inspired. And and when we uh, started dating, he was telling me about property investing and I was still very reticent. So I was a reticent latecomer to property investing, albeit the fact that I did buy my first property when I was 31.
2: Being naturally cautious, Slick Smith worked hard to avoid making mistakes by learning from others.
1: Being a really low-risk person, it was so imperative to me that I pretty much knocked the risk out of every single thing that I did. So, um, and as I said, you know, being curious and, and a lifetime learner, I also wanted to read everyone's books. And you know, I've got 135 books on property on my bookshelf at the moment and I really wanted to learn from others mistakes so I didn't make them so you know I'd go to these seminars and look let's be honest there's not that much new stuff in property investing and you would go to the seminars and and they'd be saying the same thing but I then wanted to listen to the stories about what they did wrong because most people get up and go I lost everything and then I rebuilt it I want to know what they the mistakes they made to lose everything so that I never had to do that so I had the opportunity to jump you know, on the shoulders of those giants, um, jump ahead and over the mistakes that they'd made. So I can't claim um, a devastating investing blow at all. I, think, I thought at one stage that um, a property that I'd done all the research for in Darlington, near Newtown in Sydney, I was a bit of a dog but it did 25% last year so you know, we're okay, <laughs> okay with that. Okay,
2: you're doing well. And what, what about yeah, any renovation just, things?
1: There's just, just a two-year delay on what I had expected in the growth potential.
2: So, what about renovation? Did she manage to avoid mistakes in that area of property too?
1: I think with renovation, it's um, it's it's a lot about being uh, a bit of a detective sometimes and a, and being solution-orientated. Obviously, you have to be a good project manager. And as well, and I realized very quickly I wasn't the person who was going to be on the tools. So, you know, we were, you know, the first properties we bought were actually I bought a property and my husband bought a property um, beside mine. So we thought we'd, you know, we had no money left, you know, we're, we were living around the corner from this wonderful Eat Street but couldn't afford to eat there and, you know, the kitchen had been ripped out and we are living on, you know, two-minute noodles kind of thing during the renovation. And um, the, uh, you know, I guess looking at the the renovation plans that we had, we didn't necessarily, we had a very very tight budget of what we could achieve. So you know we had to paint. So we're up at six o'clock painting to seven thirty every morning before work. Getting home at six thirty painting to ten thirty at night, doing twenty hours of painting every weekend, and we did that for three months for oh. one property, three story huge big property. And then my work wanted me to move to Sydney. We got a painter in to do the other side, the exact same um, uh, meterage and he did it in five days. And at that time, I was like, you know, I think my time's worth more than this. <laughs> and um, other than, you know, I went and did a quick ceiling paint after a renovation in a property in Sydney last year, and I'll do touch ups and things, but. I, I was never I got to be honest I was never a great painter I'd, I'd paint the ceiling my husband would say we need another, another coat I'm like it's Dulux one paint one coat paint and he's like no we need another coat so he's definitely the uh <laughs> the finisher but um you know I knew my skills were in locating the property and project managing the team and getting the right team together and and that's you know what I really concentrated on after that and uh and looking at the potential so making sure that the property had the renovation potential and the differential between unrenovated and renovated properties in the area to be able to create the money. So, yeah, that's that's where I concentrate my time and effort.
2: Coming up after the break, Slacksmith discusses her relationship with debt.
1: He said, oh, "Baby, you better be careful. One day you'll owe a million dollars." And I thought, "Bugger! I better not tell him I already do." <laughs>
2: We learn about the adversity she faced in her years of mining.
1: When you're on a mine site and 300 men are on strike because they want to work with a girl, you've got to sit back and go, you know, why am I doing this?
2: We discuss her motivation and how it's helped her to achieve her current success.
1: Yeah, look, I'm um, I'm on a constant quest for learning and um, doing my best and excelling at it. So I really want to learn from those that are at the top of the game.
2: And that's coming up next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. discuss the mental blocks which can occur especially during the first years of becoming an investor.
1: I run up against this regularly and I think um, concerned and well-meaning friends and family can possibly be something that can hold you back and I remember having a chat to my dad and he said, oh, babe, you better be careful, one day you'll owe a million dollars and I thought, bugger, I better not tell him I already do. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people see hear the the stories around what can go wrong and you know i've spoken to a lot of people and i know there's people who've been on your podcast who are professionals these days who started out because their dads were taken advantage of and you know lost the family fortune and and they wanted to make the world a better place by um making that not happen to other people in, in the future so you know there's some some terrible stories about things that go wrong and and i think you know the real estate industry does have a lot of, um, you know, spruiking and, And people who are in it for themselves associated with the industry however the wonderful thing is there's so many people that are genuinely out there to assist those and I think you know we've seen a real change in the uh, real estate industry and the level of education and support even something as simple as a, a whole new industry of buyers agents popping up in the last 10 years you know there's so many different ways that you can get into property these days but there's also so much information available free and paid on the internet that people can use to validate their decisions on buying so you know i think it's um it's a it's a good place to be these days
2: what mindset did she have to adopt to implement the renovation strategy
1: you know i was very fortunate uh, as a child my mum used to always say to my sister and i you can do anything you try as long and and you can achieve anything you want to achieve and you can even fly you know if if you have God's help, and so she was very um, motivational, and you know we were always set up with the premise that we could achieve anything we put our minds to, and rightly or wrongly, you know, there's been some some interesting experiences where we, where I thought I could do things that possibly I couldn't. But um, going into any situation, thinking of success and visualising what the success looks like has definitely been um, you know a key to everything that I've ever done. And you know when you When you're on a mine site and 300 men are on strike because they want to work with a girl, you've got to sit back and go, you know, why am I doing this and what am I concentrating on doing and why do I want to be here? So understanding and being very much um, anchored by what you're trying to achieve is really important. And it's the same with renovation and property investing. You know, I speak to a lot of people who have a portfolio and I'll look through the fact finder. I've got, you've got five properties here. But there's no, and I can tell by looking at these every single day, you know, who they've been listening to, where they've got their advice from, you know, um, and usually you can see someone has a, a, a strategic strategy to get to where they want to be. And often you look at these portfolios and they have one pla- place in a regional mining town and another uh, place in, you know, um uh, another area that's you know maybe on off the plan or land house and land package. There's no consistency, and it's like they've just jumped to the next hot thing that's come along or been in a magazine. And I think the thing that is the downfall of a lot of people, is the fact that they don't start with their goals. Understand their goals, understand what they need to achieve their goals in the timeframe, and then focus everything around that. Understand then your own risk profile and what you're, is acceptable to you to what you want to do. And, you know, when I talk about that, it's like um, high risk would be developments, low risk would be buy and hold. And understand your strategy and the timeframe to achieve the strategy and what the property has to do to achieve the success it needs to, to get you to your goals on time. And then you've got a very tight buying criteria. Once you have that buying criteria, you know, you can easily look at properties and dismiss them if they don't fit it. And, you know, we've developed this suburb selector software that allows people to go through. And, you know, I I run these location workshops um, around the country, a one-day workshop. And so often, you know, the 10 people in the room, we might have 30 um, suburbs that are on our shortlist And I have very strict criteria, you know, if there's not more than 30% renters, they're out. And they're like, but all the other fundamentals, you know, stand up. I'm like, look, we only need three to four suburbs. There's so many that we don't need to waste our time on. Why don't we take out the ones with the biggest risk first? And um, you can be quite ruthless when you understand what your criteria is and, and that's where you can get down to the suburb analysis and understand what suburb's going to deliver the results you want and then, then you can get down in understanding what streets within the suburbs where renters want to be and then you can find the right property. So for me, you know, you can take a lot of risk out of everything by understanding a process and just following it.
2: Yeah, I love that approach because it really, really – it, it's like if you have a step-by-step plan in place, there's nothing that could really go wrong because you've actually thought it through carefully and you've structured everything carefully as well too and as you mentioned, yeah. it comes back down to your why when you first start because I mean anyone can just go and buy, buy a property whether it be mm. you know just down the road or, or anywhere yeah. in a different state but um, when it actually comes down to making numbers work and investing in a property that will generate income for sure. you. Or capital growth, um, it's really a process, isn't it?
1: It is. And look, I spoke to a lady uh, last year and she had said to me, look, we really got it wrong. We bought a, a house and land package in the outskirts of you know, Melbourne. Um, there was other developers there. There was an oversupply. you know. So we had a, a house in the outskirts. It didn't work for us. So now we're going to buy a unit in a city. And I was like, how how are you minimizing your risk? And she said, Well, it's not a house, it's a unit, and it's not outskirts, it's in town. I was like, the risk's the same, it's an oversupply risk. And she's like, Oh, I didn't think about it like that. And you know it's it's kind of just getting people over that, that little aha moment. It's like, oh my gosh, I was about to repeat the same mistake.
2: It's very interesting and I think it's also, it also comes back down to having a third opinion or second opinion to be able mm. to see because it's very easy to get delved into your own world thinking, hmm, I think I've chosen the right probably. But then when you actually look and get someone's yep. opinion on it, especially an expert, then they may give you a, a better insight in it which you may mm. not have even noticed at all. Being a keen learner, Slacksmith has been influenced by her fair share of mentors.
1: Yeah, look, I'm um, I'm on a constant quest for learning and um, doing my best and excelling at it. So I really want to learn from those that are at the top of the game. And you know, back in 2011, I was looking around and I thought, if I'm going to make my next significant investment, it's not going to be in property. It's going to be in providing education for people so they can have good education in property. Um, who's the best in educating and and I wanted to see who was doing online education because obviously if you're doing face-to-face education you're limited by the number of people you can you can affect change with Mm. and you know I had the opportunity of being the um, uh, finance and uh, property writer for Australian Women's Weekly for a period of time I created some videos to help people work out how to get from their home to maybe their first investment property or buy their home a bit better and and I can see that the having access to you know something online was giving people the opportunity to learn in their own time frame and be able to go back and look at it again so I thought you know I want to find online educators and um, who could teach me how to do this property properly and you know with integrity I just didn't want to be the, the here's the steak knives I wanted to be able to be authentic and be who I am and you know, deliver the kind of no BS message. So, you know, it wasn't really um, covered with all the glitz and glamour. Mm. And and I couldn't find that in Australia. So I looked overseas and I found a mentor there and, and I spent um, a significant amount of time and money <laughs> flying backwards and forwards being part of a mastermind group and being part of a group of like-minded people and in a community and regardless whether it's property investing or, or you know, photography or, or cat raising, whatever it is that your passion is, being part of a community of like-minded people, you know, just being supported and understanding and speaking the same language is so important. So I just got the most amazing uh, learnings from that and that's when I came back and, and started Your Property Success with the view of, of passing my knowledge and creating a community that could share their knowledge.
2: Slack Smith shares some of the mentors she found along the way.
1: So uh, Brendan Bouchard was the first uh, mentor I worked with at Experts Academy and then um, I looked at how to actually deliver online education so the actual mechanisms and technology behind it. So I looked at uh, Jeff Walker and I've recently been part of a mastermind group with Dean Jackson who has a great podcast, I Love Marketing. And I, I genuinely, I love marketing. I love the opportunity to be able to talk to people and influence in the right way um a change of thinking that will then lead them on a journey to to go on as a quest to learn something more and uh yeah so they're the people i'm working with i'm actually um for the last year i haven't been with a mentor and i know the importance of being stretched and held accountable with uh, mentoring and i'm heading out to spend four days with a new mentor that i'm working with next week so he works with uh, i think eight people a year so really excited about that so yeah, it's um it's kind of um what's the saying it's you know when the time is ready the master will come I think
2: when the student is ready the the master will appear
1: Yeah, grasshopper. So I've been a grasshopper many a time and uh and I you know as you grow and learn something from someone it's time to move on and and that's been a great opportunity for me, and and I've recently joined a fabulous group, also called the League of Extraordinary Women, and just fabulous group of um, business women, incredibly successful, incredibly generous. They have wonderful events, and just you know, listening to what other business people go through and what they've had as great successes and failures, and and supporting each other's fabulous. So. Um, I really encourage your listeners to, if you are keen on property investing, find yourself a community where you can uh, have have a chat about it because it it really makes for helping you get to your goals sooner.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm I'm all for getting mentors and coaches as well too Mm -hmm. because it really does help um, with, with, I guess, accountability, but also at the same time, they can also give you guidance that you might not see within yourself because mm. it's very easy to just think that you know everything, but you actually don't. So,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I was doing um, one of the services that I provide for my pre-approved mortgage clients is um, if they find a property and they want a second set of eyes, I do a deal review with them. And, and this client, we kept coming up with these properties and they it's a review against their buying criteria and it just wasn't meeting his buying criteria and we looked big picture and the suburb actually didn't meet any of the criteria. So I was saying to him, look, you know, if you really, if this buying criteria is what you need to get to your goals, then you're going to have to move suburbs and do some more analysis. And you're saying, it's just taking me three months of analysis to do this. I don't want to move on. It's like, well, you know, investing in 10, 15 plan, you plan here, another three months and getting the right suburb so it delivers your plan for you sooner is probably better. And, you know, since you found the right suburb and then the right property and you know, put that one to bed. But, you know, sometimes you have to kind of move on and sacrifice a bit of time, but you do learn from it and you learn to get quicker at the processing.
2: Yeah, it's like opportunity cost at the end of the day mm. or you, sunken cost. You can spend all that time. you got to sometimes decide is it really worth continuing to move on or you, you keep pursuing it? And sometimes it's just better just to let it go. If, if it's not right, then you've got to move on to the next exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And there's a grieving period there. I speak to a lot of people who are like, you know, um, they might miss out on auction on the dream property thereafter. But, you know, if you're very clear on what you want, it's it's amazing how often within the next 10 days the right property comes up for them.
2: <laughs> it's all emotion, isn't it? Sometimes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah you've got to separate it out. <laughs>
2: yeah, emotion versus logic. And did you seek any mentors also for renovating too, as well, when you're building up your equity through that that path?
1: Yeah, look, back in like 2000 and 2001, when I started renovating, there was no. Um, Renovating experts out there. And so I really had to derive my own knowledge about what would work. And so once again, I went back to basics of what's the risk. And the risk is that you overcapitalize or you renovate and people don't like the renovation. And my whole key around renovating and the reason I renovated was for the valuer. So getting that valuation up so I could pull equity was the number one reason that I wanted to renovate. The second one was to have it appeal to a renter so that the renter would rent it and I'd have low vacancies and high rental yields. So, you know, for me, I then you know, worked out that it was the pricing disparity or the difference between unrenovated and renovated properties that was going to be the key to that strategy and then doing the analysis and finding out what were the properties that were renovated on the market, how much were they selling for, what was the unrenovated property um, worth, how much would it cost me to get the unrenovated to the renovated and was there a profit there? And for a lot of suburbs, there is no pricing disparity between renovated and renovated So many properties deserve to be renovated but very, very, very few should be. So it was finding that out that um, was I guess the secret to the success that I then shared with everyone.
2: She shares some of the things she looks out for when considering renovations.
1: I was always looking for the twist. So how could I take a property and take it to a higher value and better value? and do it as quickly as possible so I could create more equity to build my portfolio quickly because I didn't want to be an active property investor that is, you know, out there looking at properties every day. I wanted to have a set-and-forget portfolio that just goes up in value by a million bucks a year, you know? How nice would that be?
2: Nice. I'd I join the club. <laughs> and
1: pays for itself. <laughs> so so, um, so I wanted to get there as quickly as possible and um, so I, I've, the, I found – suburb that had the pricing disparity, Carlton. Mm -hmm. I then looked at what the fixtures and fittings and standards were that the renovated properties were selling for, and then I um, looked at the property that I had and worked out how I could find those fixtures and fittings at a cheaper price that had the same perceived value but didn't have the cost. So it was around sourcing the right properties from the right areas and and finding uh, and sourcing and those and putting them in place.
2: Just to so, ask to put in perspective, what kind of house did we buy in the Carlton area, and what sure. was the average pricing, so we can sort of get an idea.
1: The average prices were between were around four hundred thousand. Yeah. So you know, back in two thousand and one, um, and we kept driving up and down this street, and it, it was you know one of the premium streets, and it had these beautiful old mansions in them, you know, three story, eighteen sixty built, you know, brick properties and um, we'd say one day this is our end goal and what came up was that two of these properties were being sold under the same bill of sale so instead of saying you know going once twice 400,000 it was going once twice (laughs) 800,000 so different titles one bill of sale and my husband and I or my then boyfriend and I were looking at buying a property each because I wanted to minimise my risk just in case the relationship didn't go
2: ahead. <laughs> <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> enough. Very...
1: And your borrowing capacity, I knew that individually our borrowing capacities was going to be higher individually and less land tax, et cetera, benefits. So, you know, I knew strategically um, buying individually was a good way to start. So, um, so these properties were, you know, three-storey, 1860 beautiful old mansions essentially that had been built, you know, within a kilometre of CBD um, Melbourne. And uh, completely, you know, hadn't been fixed or touched for a long period of time. And my husband had a a higher borrowing capacity than I did, and he he took the one that had been uh, had the parking at the back and had a little bit more renovation done. And mine was, you know, really in a bad condition. So the we actually used the pest and building inspection. And we used the Residex valuation report as part of the negotiating tool because we got to auction, it was passed in, we we're the highest bidder, and we went in and said, gee, you know, look at this pest and building report. It says it's got about fifty thousand dollars of of works just to make it livable. And, you know, the comparable sales in the street are this, you know, and luckily the vendor said, Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and we got the property. So
2: good negotiation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and having, you know, um, access to those material and reports, etc., gave us some credibility rather than saying I just don't want to pay anymore. Mm-hmm. So they were sitting there going, well, if this person thinks this the next person that gets the best in pest and building inspection, you know, they're gonna think the same thing. So, you know, bought it for four twenty-five, uh, did the fifty thousand dollar renovation on it, had it um, revalued it nine months later at nine hundred thousand. Did a, a bit of a, in 2009, I did a bit of a, a top up to it as well. i was always rented uh, since then at $1,000 a week. It's worth around $1.4 now. Wow. And um, yeah, great location, great property, always in demand. Um, I've only ever had three tenancy agreements in that 15 years. So people just keep wanting to rent there. And yeah. It's uh, it's it's a great little cornerstone for the portfolio. It's
2: <laughs> great. So from there, you're able to, to start that first property off and then leapfrog to your next properties by drawing out that equity to buy a sure. few other properties. Is that how? Yeah.
1: And, and we were rent-vesters for 10 years. So we uh, rented ourselves and bought investment properties. Often we'd move into an investment property, had a little unit on beachfront at Bondi Beach. We moved in there over winter when nice. no one wants to rent. <laughs> and did a three-month renovation and enjoyed that and then moved out and rented ourselves. So often just to save some money, we were living in the renovations Um, and anyone who's ever done that, you know how bad that is. You're covered in (laughs) class dust going to work and, you know, you're cooking in a microwave for months on end. But, you know, when when you're making more out of um, the equity gain in a property within a few months than you're making it work, it makes a difference. And I know, you know, a lot of people – look at those numbers and they think, you know, I'm going to give up work and um, or sell the property and release the equity straight away. We'd always had the strategy. It was around a buy and hold long-term strategy and um, work was fine. I mean, I, I don't want to give up work. So for me, it was around just having the choice to be able to to work or not. Yep. But also I knew that I needed to have a job for the borrowing capacity, which is so important and with the changes of ASIC and APRA In 2016, you know, investors have to be savvy about what they do and and their financing and have the right income to be able to continue investing. And and, um, so I knew that I wasn't going to be giving up a job anytime soon.
2: So, what is Slack Smith's portfolio actually worth and what's her plan
1: moving ahead? Well, great revelation here. I'm a very boring investor who. who walks the talk you know I wrote the book that that your property success with renovation two properties one renovation a million dollars in the bank I don't believe you need hundreds of properties I don't believe you need to be um, trading properties I know you know someone who has a home and accesses equity who buys a property has an equity growth that allows them to do a renovation in year 3 and equity growth to be able to buy a, a second property in year five can set and forget their portfolio and within fifteen years sell it down if you have, you know, the typical growth characteristics of an area, sell it down, pay off your mortgage, pay your capital gains tax and put a million bucks in the bank. And you know, for me it was about having that simplicity. So, you know, we haven't bought a property for many years. And the portfolio goes up quite cons- – the well-located properties, they goes up quite considerably every year. Mm. And um, this is, I think it's worth around about $8 million now with low LVR just based on the equities.
2: And how many properties are there in that portfolio?
1: Uh, seven. They all started around about four hundred
2: to $500,000. Yeah, so you've just amassed the, and, and bought and hold and that strategy allows you to be able to have that freedom because you've got enough mm-hmm. equity to be able to – yeah, I guess, draw down equity on that. Do, you, do you, Actually, there are strategies out there. Do you believe on drawing out equity to live on the lifestyle or do you rely on uh, the cash well, flow? That was
0: really
1: big in 2003. Like, I know I spoke to quite a few people about doing that and, you know, there is difficulty in uh, living on borrowed money and I know there's – I know people have been on your podcast who you know, even buy their cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I can I them, could tell you who.
2: <laughs> but yeah,
1: <laughs> you, you and I have both interviewed them but um, – you know, um, I don't think debt is bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's good debt and bad debt. And um, and and I know the reality is that a lot of people do live with some bad debt until they get to a position of, you know, managing their money better and understanding their goals and, and having that destination they can be anchored to so that they can achieve what they want you know, every day knowing what they're getting towards. But, you know, I've got clients, I mean, I obviously don't imply my... Strategies on all of my mortgage clients or my my students, yep. and I've got clients that do developments. I've got um, students that are you know doing granny flats. I've got um, people who uh, to do pull out equity and and live off equity. So you know I've got you know I've got clients on you know forty thousand dollars with you know two million dollar portfolios. I mean, and, you know, have been been really strategic about how they've bought and been very clever when le- the lending environment was a bit easier. But, um, you know, I think that um, it's really horses for courses and, and when you work out what your strategy is and your risk profile and coming from the basis of your goals and – and understanding how many properties and what they need to look like to get to your goal. And that's why I developed that calculator on investorschoice.com.au, the portfolio planner, because I know that how hard it is for people to go, you know, I want $100,000 income in 10 years time. How many properties does that mean I need now? Because there's a capital gains tax implications and all of those things. And I think, you know, you just need to simply understand what you need to be shooting for. And then what are the property um, characteristics need to do to achieve that for you? So, yeah, I, I think everyone has a different way to get there. You know, we haven't bought a property in many years because we don't need to, don't want to. Property portfolio is fine, you know. If I speak to my property managers once every three months, I'm happy.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that, that's the good thing about buying and, and holding and, and set and forget, or well, not necessarily forget that you don't come back to it, but that that's, you know, the lifestyle that allows you to have that freedom because you know that property just it's, does its thing.
1: So I know that we've achieved, you know, over – hundred million dollars worth of lending in the last couple of years and helped clients get there so there's that kind of uh I guess, transferred satisfaction of getting people into the properties they want to be in. And, you know, we're kind of hands on. So we're interested in the properties they're buying and where they're buying and having that conversation around their strategy as well. And and also, you know, just the community of the students in the Ultimate Guide to Renovation, Your Property Success Club, just seeing their renovations and their stories and what they're doing. Although I do, you know, I did a renovation, two renovations last year on existing properties. Um, you know, I'm not actively out there renovating all the time but it's nice to have a hand in, you know, looking at what other people are doing.
2: It's clear Slacksmith carries many positive habits and rituals which contribute to her daily success but is there anything else?
1: I'm really tenacious. So I'm curious and tenacious so I um, I don't give up and I'm very disciplined and so if I have a goal or something that I want to achieve regardless if it's in my personal life or Professional aspirations, etc. I will do what it takes to to uh, without hurting anyone or myself <laughs> to achieve that goal. So you know, once I put my mind to something, you know, I I really give it my all. And uh, I guess being tenacious is probably the dominant characteristic of that. She
2: has had some help along the way through reading and self learning.
1: I have a long list of books I recommend. Um, the obviously Jan Summers I think is is probably the queen of property investing in Australia. Low risk, really simple. You know, she got the formula, she cracked it, and she shared it. She was a school teacher. She writes like a school teacher. It's very clear and concise. So for people starting out, I think Jan Summers is, is is fabulous. I think from an inspirational point of view, you know, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad is is great as well. There are so many writers, and there's so many books out there that um, it's it's amazing. And when the publishers approached me and asked me to write a book, I was I, honestly I was like. I had at that stage, I had 120 on my bookshelf. I was like, "There's, <laughs> there's nothing I can say that people want to know that's different." And they're like, "Yeah, they probably just want to hear it in your voice." So, you know, often what you read is uh, very similar in some of the books, but there's always one absolute gem that I pick up. So I'm always reading you know, property books and trying to increase my knowledge. And and you know, our um, community is always recommending books to to each other as well. So but I'd start with the fundamentals and I think, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and uh, Jan Jane Summers is probably a really good place to start.
2: Thank you to James Like Smith our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about her journey and get a copy of the episode guide on the website, head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash guide. This guide will give you the inside scoop on the little gold nuggets of wisdom all our guests share from their backstory and their overall strategies and philosophies. Plus, you'll get a copy of the advice broken down and shared in a quick and easy to consume format. Just head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash guide and download it today.